to the church of Philippi. It is a church uh, that he is very familiar with them. They're familiar with Paul also. Remember, this was one of the only churches that had gotten behind Paul supporting um, the work that the Apostle Paul was involved with, sharing the gospel and planting churches. And they had this awesome relationship together. And really, by and large, this letter is a thank you letter. Paul's thankful for them, for their lives, what God is doing. He's thankful for their support of his ministry. And, and, and we know also that it's, it's, also, it's not as corrective in nature as like 1 Corinthians and Galatians, but there is some correction that we can kind of find as we work our way through this letter. But there's also a warning. Remember last week we were warned, the Apostle Paul warned the church about legalists, those that would, um, those that would try to... Uh, relate to God based upon their own righteousness or their own efforts to attain righteousness before God or maintain righteousness before God. Can you do that, by the way? What does God say about our own righteousnesses? Filthy rags in his sight. Listen, the only righteousness that God will accept is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is given to us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? That should bring us joy. Remember, the, the theme of this epistle, of this letter, is joy, isn't it? That should bring us joy. There's no striving. There's no effort. We simply receive the free gift from the Lord of eternal life, forgiveness, the free gift of righteousness imputed to our account. Is that good news this morning? It's, it's, do we need to maintain that righteousness? Do we need to maintain righteousness? No, we can't perfect upon what Jesus has done. We can't take away from it. We can't add to it. But that's what legalists do. And then they impose their rules. Their, their, uh, some of them made up. They impose stuff upon you. And like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they don't lift a finger to even help. They just point the finger, right? They sin sniff and get critical. And, and Paul knew all about legalism. Why? Because he had been a legalist. He had come out of that background, and he knows that there's no joy there. There's no peace there. There's no rest in that, trying to, trying to earn, earn right standing before God. It's a treadmill. It's something that's going to wear you out and make you burdened. And so the Apostle Paul is warning them, and he called them dogs and evil workers and, and uh, the mutilation but then he said, he reminded us that we, the true people of God, worship God in the Spirit. They celebrate Jesus. We put no confidence in our flesh. We put confidence in the Lord and Him alone, the work of His Spirit. We celebrate Jesus, who He is and what He's done on our behalf and what He's doing currently and what He's yet to do as well. And the Apostle Paul said, listen, if anyone can boast, if these legalists are boasting, if anyone could boast, it would be me before I gave my life to the Lord. He said, look at, my, look at my trophy case of all the things I've done in my own flesh, in my own strength, in my own wisdom. Look at my background. Look at my bloodline. Look at who I am, right? And he said, all of that, he said, all of that I've counted loss for knowing Jesus Christ. All that stuff doesn't matter. All that matters is knowing Jesus Christ is having a personal relationship with him. And the Apostle Paul, where was he writing from? Writing from prison. He lost everything. And he said, you know what? It's not a big deal because I got Jesus. And he's walked, at this time, he's walked with Jesus somewhere around three decades, like 30 years, 30 plus years. 
And remember what he said as we finished our study last week? He said, I just want to know Jesus more. Because what happens when you get to know him more? You love him more? It's like, oh, Lord, you're so good. You're so faithful. I just want to know you. He didn't say, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more doctrine. I want to know more precepts. All those things are good, but it doesn't substitute for knowing Jesus personally. It's great. We need to know the Word of God, but we need to know the God of the Word. And that should happen as we're spending time with Him, as we're seeking Him, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Him more, and I want to know the, what? The power of His resurrection. I want to know more of Jesus' power in my life. Has anybody experienced Jesus' power in their life? It's awesome, isn't it? It's glorious. And Paul's like, I want to know more of that in my life. Lord, I want to see you work more powerfully in my life and in my heart. And the areas I struggle with. Anybody here struggle with anything? We struggle with stuff, don't we? Still as Christians, like, Lord, I want to experience your power in this area of my life. And in my marriage, Lord. And in the way that I raise my kids and the way, Lord, I serve in the, in, in the church. I want to experience more of your power. I don't want to rely upon my own flesh, my own wisdom. I want to see you work through my life in a special way. And, I mean, Paul is like, I mean, you think about it. He is a wanting to know Jesus, experience the power of Jesus junkie. <laughs> it's like awesome. And then he said, he said something, and we had no amens last week, and I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. There's a, there's a couple of amens. Listen, that's what God uses in our lives to make us more like Jesus. Do you know that God uses suffering in our lives? And it's not purposeless. He uses that to, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, to help us to grow, to know him more. And Paul's like, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And Jesus suffered a lot, didn't he? Think about some of the things. Besides the cross, the beating, the, the flogging, all that he went through for us, what else happened? He was ditched by his friends. Ever been ditched by your friends? Jesus knows what it's like to be ditched by your friends. To be left all alone, to be mocked, to be li- anybody ever been lied about here? Jesus knows. He went through it, right? And not only did he does he know, did he go through it himself? But he's also an ever-present help in our time of need. We can always look to him and know that Jesus will help us when we reach out to him. And so he's so good. And then Paul finished that section to be conformed to his death, that if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And I think what Paul was saying was, my life is a blank check for God. And he can, he can use my life any way he wants to. Whether it is in life or death, I know where I'm headed. I'm heading to heaven. I know my last breath here will be my first breath in his presence. So Lord, use my life. The Lord has, listen, this morning, do you know that? The Lord has your life in his hands. Your times are in his hands too, the psalmist tells us. Isn't that great to know this morning? And Paul's like, whatever, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm down. I just want to know you and walk with you. And that's after decades of walking with Jesus. Do you feel the same way? Maybe you haven't walked for decades, or maybe you have. Well, Paul goes on, and this is what, that's like long enough intro, correct? Can we start rolling? Verse 12, check it out. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. Why? 
that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is so good this morning. So let me draw your attention to verse 12 real quick. So Paul's like, I've not arrived spiritually. And this is amazing what he says here. I have not arrived spiritually. Um, I'm still growing. I'm not fully mature yet. In other words, I'm still a work in progress. Has anybody here arrived spiritually yet? Are you done growing? Are you a work in progress? We are, aren't we? Aren't there areas in our lives that we're a little bit less than Christ-like? That need, we need a work of his spirit in our lives. Paul's saying, and I, I haven't quite grasped all there is in this walk with the Lord. I haven't arrived. I haven't come to that place where, where I've, I've fully grabbed hold of everything. I've got a handle on everything. But what does he do? Look at the only option for Paul. But I press on. It means to aggressively chase. It means to hunt down, to earnestly pursue. In other words, he says, here's where my energy goes. Here's what I seek after earnestly, that I may lay hold, and that word means to aggressively grab hold of and take to yourself. You get, anybody watch football here? You get, anybody watch football? You guys watch football? Ever see that? Anybody ever seen a tackle? Tackle, take the guy down. That's the picture here in the Greek. It's to grab hold and to take to yourself. So Paul's like, I haven't grabbed hold and taken to myself that for which Jesus has grabbed hold of me and taken hold of my life. This is so beautiful. So let's break this down. Jesus aggressively apprehended me and made me his own, is what Paul is saying. Isn't that cool? that beautiful to you guys? Do you know he did the same thing in your life? You weren't seeking God. It wasn't like God was lost and you found him. You and I were lost, weren't we? We weren't seeking God. We were living according to our own selfishness, selfish desires, our own will. And God, in whatever way it happened in your life, interrupted your plans. Same thing happened with the Apostle Paul. Remember what happened to him? Acts chapter 9. Paul was what? He was earnestly seeking, hunting down Christians to kill them, and all of a sudden, who apprehended him? Who stopped him? Jesus did on the road to Damascus. You guys remember that story, right? Heading northbound out of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, Paul gets broken, a.k.a. Saul, right? He was the artist formerly known as Saul at that time. He gets broken, and he gives his life to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? My life is in your hands. And everything changed from that moment on. God had a unique calling on Paul's life. God uniquely met with Paul individually, personally. And can I remind you this morning that he did the same thing in your life? That he intervened in your life. He called you personally. He's grabbed a hold of you personally. Your life is now in his hands. And not only that, God has a unique calling on your life. Do you believe that this morning? The Apostle Paul reminded Timothy 
that your calling is a holy calling. Do you know that this morning? Your calling is a sacred calling by God that he has on your life. This is so cool. So Paul is saying, what I think he's saying is, I'm still trying to figure out my unique purpose and move forward in fulfilling the plan that God has for me. I haven't grabbed hold of that which Jesus has grabbed hold of me yet. It's so beautiful. I'm pressing on for what Jesus has for me, what he wants for me, what his will is. And by the way, that's a lifelong process, isn't it? It's, it's, in other words, an adventure in faith or an adventure of faith. And again, Paul's an older saint. And he's like, there's something more that God has for me. But I'm going to put my hand to the plow and I'm not going to look back. I'm not going to let go of the plow. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep moving forward. In fact, look what he says in verse 13. He says, brethren, family, my brothers and sisters, I do not count myself to have apprehended. That word count is to, to, to uh, careful, calm calculation. The bottom line is the conclusion Paul says that I've come to is that I have not completely reached and taken hold of all there is in my relationship with Jesus, all that he has grabbed hold of me for but one thing I do. And the apostle says there's one thing that he does. We should probably take notice, shouldn't we? Should we take notice of what Paul's saying? Yes. I guess he say there's like, here's, here's a list of like, a laundry list of like five or six things. He says there's one thing. What's the one thing that he does? One thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and the in the the greek verb is continually forgetting continually putting out of my mind what's happened in the past can i ask you guys a question those of you who are driving this morning if you leave the parking lot or the back lot or wherever you park and all you do is look at the rearview mirror what's going to happen you can do very good you're not gonna get very far are you are you gonna get jacked up Messed up? You get messed up? <laughs> Correct? Rear view mirrors are good, though. Yes? You can see if there's flashing lights behind you. <laughs> What's Paul saying here? He's let it go. Leave those things in the past in God's hands who works all things together for good of those that love him. And reaching forward, stretching out to or towards what today holds, what the Lord has for you today. We're not promised tomorrow, are we? Someone was asking me about this uh, the other day, and I shared with them. I said, listen, I retire every year from being a pastor. You do? I do. And I say, Lord, if you want to keep me here, I'm down. He hasn't fired me yet. <laughs> he hasn't moved me on. But it's like, Lord, I'm, I'm down. I don't want to take a step without you. I don't want to go anywhere without you. I, Lord, your will be done. Amen. We're not promised tomorrow, but we're to reach ahead. All that lays in front of me as I follow Jesus, Paul says what he has for me. And the imagery here is so cool. It's running imagery. It's like runners in a race. That's kind of the picture, the, the Greek verbs and all that stuff. It's a picture of those that are running. And again, if you're running, you're in a competition. Should you look behind you? You're running and you start looking at the guy behind you, people in the crowd. <laughs> a 
what's going to happen? Right? It happens even when I'm walking with Tanya. Tanya and I, we try to walk every single day. When I take my eyes and just start checking, wow, she's looking good today. <laughs> I start weaving off the path. I'm about to get off the path or get in the other, the other lane. Bikes are coming. You know what I'm talking about? And so we have to forget those things that are behind and to reach forward to what the Lord has in front of us. And this is so important because the theme of this book is joy. If I'm not forgetting those things in the past and reaching forward, you know what I'm not going to have? I'm not going to have joy. It'll rob you. It will, listen this morning, brother or sister, it will, ro- it will not only rob you of joy, but it will keep you from what God has for you in the future. Paul himself, think about Paul's past. How about before Paul became a Christian? Was his past a little gnarly? Murdered Christians? Hunted down Christians? He told us all those things that he had worked for as a legalist, as a a man involved in a religious system. He said he counted that all as dong, as manure. He was busy piling up manure in his life. As he looked back and he said, I've forgotten those things. I put those things out of my memory. I'm reaching forward. How about after becoming a Christian? Did Paul have any failures? Did Paul have any struggles? He did, didn't he? Remember where, when he was on a mission trip, where was the first place he'd go? 7-Eleven? Where? Synagogue. Thank you. Hearing, hearing going to. Pray for me. Synagogue. And who was the synagogue? His own brethren, his own his his homies, right? He would come, and what would they do when he came? Oh, Paul, thank you, thank you for sharing Jesus with us, the Messiah. Oh, where do I sign up? Where do I get my? Is that what they did? By and large, what did they do? Beat down, right? Everywhere he went. And then he says in Romans, I would, I would gladly surrender my salvation that my countrymen might be saved. What? Really? And, and we learn that he had been praying for them because prayer doesn't necessarily change the other people. But what does it start to do? It starts to change our hearts towards them. And he forgot. He put those things. Okay, I got rejected. Anybody ever been rejected? How many of you are still holding on to it? Instead of forget, did Paul, Paul practice what he preached? He forgot those things that are behind. Think about the enemy trying to bring condemnation into Paul's life. How could God use you? You killed Christians. You were a blasphemer. Does that ever happen to you guys serving the Lord? How could God use you, Mikey? Come on. You dishonored God with your body, with your mind. All those years you waited, now you think you can prove, look at the way you acted in traffic. I just a uh, hypothetical. <laughs> or whatever. The enemy brings condemnation, but there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk no, Lord, no longer according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. We have to forget those things. Those things have been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we read this, some of us, listen, this morning, some of us want to hang on to baggage. Maybe it's anger. 
Maybe it's unforgiveness or bitterness this morning. Something or someone that hurt you in the past or a situation that, got, was, that was gnarly, that was wrong. Listen, this morning, we need to take the Apostle Paul's counsel and to do what? To forget it, to continually put it aside instead of dragging those weights everywhere we go. Those things continually spring up. I'm to continually forget them, to give them to the Lord and move forward with the help and aid of the Holy Spirit. Not a lot of amens. Can you leave those things in the Lord's hands and trust that he's going to work it together for good? So hard, Pastor. So hard. Do you know God will help you? Do you know God will help you this morning? Otherwise, that person or that circumstance, they're they're controlling your life. You're in bondage. Until you say, Lord, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to choose to forgive. And when it comes up, I'm going to do the same thing over and over again. Can God heal you and help you? He can, can he? You guys remember Joseph? Old Testament Joseph, you guys remember that cat? Remember that dude? You're going to meet him someday, by the way. Remember what happened to him? His brothers, they hated him. They hated him so much. What did they do? They sold him into slavery. What what if your family did that to you? How would you be feeling about them? Not not too cool, right? But what's interesting is, then what happened next? He gets accused of rape, thrown in prison. Was that just? Unjust? What was it? It was unjust. It was wrong. He got treated wrongly, unfairly, thrown in the slammer. You know what's so cool? You read his life and there's no complaining and grumbling. There's no singing the poor memes. Why? Because what did he do? He left those things in God's hands and trusted that God would work all those things together for good. Even what they meant for evil, he knew, correct? That God intended it for good. Oh, it took time. How do, we know, how do we know that he continued to press into God's heart through all of that? Remember what he named his kids? Remember what he named his kids? I think it was, what was it, Jim Bob? No, Jimmy Don? And Bobby Jack. And you know what their names mean? I can't wait to see those brothers. I'm going to wipe them out. Jimmy Don, that's what it means. Bobby Jack means my family's a bunch of knuckleheads. Is that what he named his kids? Remember what he named his kids? It's so awesome. Ephraim and starts with M, rhymes with Manasseh. Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim, you know what his name means? It tells us right in the text. It's not an accident. God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Isn't that beautiful? I've been afflicted. I've been hurt. But it's God who caused me to bear fruit in the midst of all of this. Isn't that great? Isn't that kind of cool? How about Manasseh? What does Manasseh mean? It tells us. You go back and look at it. Manasseh means... 
God has made me to forget all the toil in my father's house. <gasps> I mean, God can help make me forget that person that done me wrong, that person that hurt me. Down, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You're dragging weights around. You got to let those go. Can I encourage you this morning to let it go here? To say, Lord, here it is. That dude's right. That Mike is right. It's you. You're right, Lord. I'm wrong. I'm holding on to this. I'm holding a grudge. I'm, I got a chip on my shoulder. But here's the deal not just with the hurts and pains and struggles and failures, but listen, we also have to forget our successes. What do you mean by that? Because some of us are living off our past victories. You know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys ever been around like people from high school and all they talk about is like, that's all they talk about. Remember the big game and I, you know, I scored the touchdown and you know, what were you doing? Oh, you were with the cheerleader (laughs) or whatever. That's all they talk, every time you see them, that's all they talk about is the big win, the big TD. It's like, dude, it's time to move forward. You can't live off those things, living off past victories, or you, you go into protection mode. You go into preservation mode. Oh, you know what? I saw God work back there, and, and I'm good. I'm just going to cruise. I'm going to don't want to take too many steps of faith where it's uncomfortable. I, I feel comfortable here. You know, it's like, no, we need to forget those things that are behind. Pride. Holding on to those successes. Holding those up. It's like, let them go. Right? He says, forgetting those things, I leave it all with God. I can't, I can't run forward looking backward. Are you with me? It's not about the past. It's discovering who I am in him, his calling on my life. He grabbed me, and I'm going to grab hold of all that he has for me today. Look what he says in verse 14. I press towards what? The goal, the tape, the finish line for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is the call. Whether he calls us home to be with him, do you know that's going to happen at some point in your life? Christian. At some point, it's, it's, that's it. The Lord calls us home to be with him. How glorious that's going to be. Our days are numbered. Our times are in his hands. But not only that, the Lord has a calling. In fact, that word upward call means a call from above, a divine invitation, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Not only is it a holy calling, it's a high calling from God on your life. It's a high calling because it's from God above. It's his heart. That's his heart for you. He has a calling on your life and mine. And what does Paul say? I'm going to live full on. I'm going to run my race to win. I'm going to run my race for the prize till the Lord calls me home to be with him so that I might hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Listen, we are not competing against one another. It's your race. The Lord's put you on the track. It's your race. God wants to use you to touch other people's lives. He's already prepared the good works. 
God has a call on each, a unique calling on each and every single one of us this morning. And you look at these words, it's hard work, lay hold, reach, press. And it, where was Paul again? He's in prison, even while in prison, possibly on death row, his pursuit has not stopped at all. I love that about Paul. He was a, think about him. He was a missionary, a church planter, a pastor. He traveled all over the place, didn't he? Do you guys, anybody here like love being outside, traveling around? What about when you get sick and you got to lay around? It's the worst, isn't it? No, it's not. It's fun. You're shut down. You can't go out. You got to lay around. Like, I'm miserable. I'm sick. Like, ask Tanya. But here he is. Paul is stopped physically. He can't go and do those things. He's in jail. But you know what it is? It's another season. It's another chapter. What does he do? Remember who he's got chained next to him? The guards. And what does he do with the guards? Talk to him about the highlights of the chariot races. What's he, what's he do with them? He shares the good news of Jesus Christ. And what's happening? They're rotating out. They're getting saved left and right. And not only that, what else does he do? He starts writing letters to churches and individuals. I can't be there with you. But what's the next best thing I can do? I'm going to write them letters. And guess what? While he's writing letters, fulfilling part of his calling, isn't he? Because unknowingly, what's he doing? He's writing most of the New Testament. Wow. I haven't apprehended. I haven't grabbed hold of, of all that Jesus has grabbed hold of me for. Oh, I'm stopped. I'm slowed down. I'm in this place. And I know that, God, it's you who moved me to this place, this season of life. And I'm okay because I know you're going to work all things together for good somehow, some way. I'll keep my hand to the plow. I will keep serving you. I'll keep being about your business. And what does God do? He blows us away with cool stuff, doesn't he? This was awesome. You guys remember Corey Ten Boom? Anybody remember Corey Ten Boom? If, 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 you, if you don't know who she is, you can Google her. Um, get the background story. In any event, as an older woman, um, Christian lady, she ended up living in my hometown in Southern California in Orange County. And uh, she, was, she was bedridden for a long time. And Pastor Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapel, would visit her. And she, and she this is, was passed on to me, she... <laughs> She was bummed because she couldn't go out and travel and be on the, the, the sharing circuit, ministry circuit, visiting people, visiting churches, sharing her story. Her story is amazing, by the way. We don't have time to talk about it, but and you know what Pastor Chuck told her? Listen, you can still travel to those places. You can still travel to those countries in prayer. You can be praying for those people. You can be praying interceding for them. And I think personally, I personally, I may be fruit of her prayer ministry because <laughs> I wasn't saved then, that's for sure. And I'm sure she started praying for those in Placentia, those in Fullerton, those in Brea, those in Newport Beach, those in Anaheim, those in Garden Grove. And she's working her way out through Southern California and then heading on. I mean, how awesome. 
I can't do this, but what's the next best thing I can do, Lord? I haven't grabbed hold of everything that you've grabbed hold of me for. So beautiful. It involves hard work and focus. It's such a glorious call. It's worth it. Reaching forward for what he has for us. Therefore, verse 15, verse 15, are you guys ready for your salad commands this morning? Lettuce, lettuce, lettuce. Some, uh, it's cool. Some of you will get that later <laughs> on the drive. Honey, what was he led? What was he talking? Get out of the rearview mirror. Keep eyes on the road, honey. Looking back, what was he talking about? Let us, let us, let us. Look what he said. Check it out. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the, de- to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So Paul says, therefore, in light of, right, in light of what I've previously communicated, therefore... And notice Paul includes himself, let us, we who are mature in our walk with the Lord. Is anybody here mature this morning? What are we we to have? We are to continually have this mindset to think this way. What's he saying? What's the mindset? Forgetting those things in the past, correct? And reaching forward, looking forward to what the Lord has for us today and tomorrow, if the Lord wills. Are you with me? That's the mature mind, is not holding on to the past, is to press on, to keep running as hard as you can for Jesus. If, and Paul says, if what I'm saying doesn't resonate with you, Hey, if you disagree in some way, I love this. Look what he says. If you disagree with what I'm saying, hey, the Lord will show you. He'll make it clear to you. I love that. Paul doesn't say, if you don't listen to me, it's curtains. For, you know, it's, for me, this frees me up big time. Paul doesn't stress, fret about those that don't receive his counsel. Do you guys ever give counsel to someone? They don't listen. Guys, that ever happened? Do you guys give counsel to anybody? Biblical counsel, correct? The word in love, yes? It happens, right? I share with people. Okay, so you're telling me what you've been doing is not working. Okay, here's what the word says, and here's what we need to do. Okay? Amen. All right, next week. How's it going? Oh, it's terrible. Why is it terrible? We don't know. Are you still doing the same things you were doing? Yeah. Isn't that called insanity? Doing the same thing? How's, what's it? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting the same results. Is that what it is? Insanity. 
here's what the word says. Is God all wise? Does he know how, let's, for example, how our marriages are to work properly, function gloriously? Here's what the word says. Oh, I knew you would say that, Pastor. I knew you would tell us to do what the Bible says. What did you think I was going to tell you? You need to go read Mad Magazine. I mean, we laugh, and I laugh about this, I joke about this, but you know the Lord does the same thing with us. I had to learn the hard way this week. You know, I'm so, like, such a knucklehead, the Lord shows me and shows me, and I'm like, yeah, I got it, Lord. I'm your God. Mikey, because he calls me Mikey. Mikey. (laughs) Trying to show you this. You're teaching this. You need to walk in this. But I love what Paul says. It's so good, isn't it? Paul knows this is right on counsel. It is right on. It is something that mature believers walk in. And Paul trusted God to reveal this important lesson to those that were having a hard time with this. And isn't that good? And so I'm recognizing now we share that truth and love, that counsel and trust that God's going to reveal it to them. What does it mean to reveal? To show it to the person. And this morning, maybe the Lord's revealing it to you. You need to forget those things that are behind, man. Press forward. Press on. And whether you receive it or not, hey, I've just been the delivery boy. (laughs) Sowing the seeds of God's word. I can't change you. I can't fix you. I can't. I'm just sharing with you what the word of God says what God's doing in my heart and trust that as he reveals it to you because when he reveals it to us, what do we need to do? We need to receive it, don't we? And walk in it and say, thank you, Lord. And I love this. Paul's like, at some point, God's going to show them. It's up to them. And God is good at raising kids, isn't he? Christian life is about moving forward. It's a process, forgetting and pressing. The mature believer has adopted this attitude, and Paul says, nevertheless, to the degree, nevertheless, moreover, or beyond this, to the point we've arrived or wherever we are spiritually, we need to let us, together we must continually walk or order our lives by the same rule or the same standard. So this is a call to unity. Again, Paul wants joy for them. This is something we all need to walk in together. This forgetting the things that are behind, pressing forward. Keep on keeping on with Jesus. And so let us, we are all to be continually of the same mind, on the same page. As far as we've come, let our lives stay on that path. So, so awesome. And so... He goes on to say, verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So what is Paul saying here? Family, my brothers and sisters, continually be be following my example, be imitators of me. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11.1, be imitators of me as I imitate Jesus Christ. To to the extent that I am imitating Jesus, imitate me. Follow me in that. And then he says something else here. It's so good. And take note, mark those, pay attention to those 
who do what? Who also walk, who conduct their lives the same way. So that tells me Paul was not the only person living this way. There were others in the church. And he says, you have them as a solid example, a reliable precedent, a trustworthy pattern is set for you. Look at the quality of their lives. Look at their marriages. Look at their homes. Look at God's wisdom. Wisdom is justified by her children. Look at the wisdom in their lives. Look at the fruit that's being produced in their, in their lives. Forward, keeping their eyes on the Lord. And so some in the church provided a very good example. They're living for God's purposes, his calling, focused on the eternal. Their lives provide a pattern for us, but others not so much. Look at the next couple of verses. Here's bad examples within the church. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. So what is Paul? Look, notice the word many. There were many. And I think personally he's talking about many in the church. There are many in the church who do what? They walk. They order their lives. They conduct their lives in a certain way. And Paul says, I've told you repeatedly and frequently about this demographic of people. And I'm telling you again, notice how he says it. He's not saying, I'm mad at these people, I'm angry. I'm broken. I'm weeping over their condition, what they're involved in, the way they live their lives. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. They've set themselves in opposition to the cross, whether they know it or not. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Can I just remind us this morning, there's no Christianity without a cross. There's no life without a cross. Jesus said, if we want to follow him, we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. That's where life is found. And so notice the end of their walk. Where does their walk end? Look at verse 19. They're doomed. Destruction or perdition. Eternal damnation. Wow. How do you know if you're an enemy of the cross of Christ this morning? If you're saying, that's a, I don't want to be on that path, absolutely, you do not want to be on this path. You do not want to be walking. Walking suggests a lifestyle, the way you're ordering your life. And he says, whose God is their belly. And when it speaks of belly, it doesn't mean like, you know, like Buddha belly, big old stomach. It speaks of the flesh. Their God, what they worship what they give their time to, what they give their talents to, their treasure to, what they serve, what they wake up for, to what they live for, is their flesh. What they're passionate about is living to satisfy the desires of their flesh, what they can put in and put on. It's all about satisfying the flesh, what we can score, a life given to pleasure, whose glory what they exalt, what they honor, what they find praiseworthy is in their shame. That which they esteem to be their glory is actually to their shame. So they're deceived. In other words, they're glorying in things they should be ashamed of. And then last, and this is a, interesting what he says, he says, who set their minds on what? On 
earthly things. They foc- all they focus on is things that are temporary. Temporary things. Their focus is not to please the Lord, but to please themselves. They live for the, the self, the flesh. And so Paul presents a contrast, as we finish up here this morning, he presents a contrast between the citizens of earth, those living for the things that are temporal, and those that are citizens of heaven. We want to be citizens of heaven, don't we? That is us. Look what it says. For our citizenship is in where? In heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. Who's the Savior? The Lord Jesus Christ, what's he going to do? Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. That's good news, isn't it, gang? I love this. So we're citizens of heaven. This would totally resonate with the Philippians. Why? Because although they were not in Rome... They were a colony of Rome. They were Roman citizens. They had all the benefits and the blessings of being a Roman citizen, but they weren't in Rome. They were citizens of Rome. And Paul reminds them, hey, your most important citizenship is that you're a citizen of heaven because of Jesus Christ. Do you guys know that this morning? That's the most important citizenship. And literally... In the Greek, it's our citizenship exists in heaven. It's a present reality right now. Do you believe that this morning? Is that great? You're a citizen right now. Put everything in perspective of that right now. You're not a local anymore. Heaven's your hometown. It's my hometown. That's where we are headed. We have a king, and we are part of his kingdom. And all that really matters is taking what he has blessed me with here and furthering his kingdom. Because naked we came in, naked we are, we're out of here. We can't take stuff with us, can we? No way. And so he says we are looking for, we're eagerly waiting. Look, at the, look what it says. This is so good. Continually anticipating with excitement the one who rescues and delivers, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to come from heaven to rescue to bring home, to be with him, his bride. You know who his bride is? That's us, his church. This is what's called the rapture. You guys ever hear that term used? Rapture. This is the rapture right here. Jesus said he's coming for us, didn't he? And his return would be like a thief in the... What's a thief in the night? What's that like? Do they give you a heads up? Text you? little text message? Snapchat? Hey, I'm coming at... 107, they do that? We don't know, right? His return is imminent. No one knows the day or the hour. And the Lord says what? You're to be on your toes. You are to be anticipating that return about the Father's business. Are you with me? And Jesus comes, and what's he going to do? He is going to deliver us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. If you're taking notes, what was it again, Pastor? 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. There's wrath coming. The tribulation period, seven years. I do not believe we will be here because Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. I don't believe God is a wife beater. 
Revelation, what is it, 3.10? Promises the church. Philadelphia, which... He promises the church to what? To keep us from the hour of trial, which is going to come upon the whole earth. Those that are trusting him. Keep you from, not through, keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole earth. That's good news. Jesus is going to come, 1 Thessalonians 4, and what? We're going to get raptured. Meet him in the clouds, in the sky. Isn't that cool? Anybody excited about that? I'm practicing. Come on. I can't jump very high anymore, but I... Where do we go from there? Jesus told us, didn't he? John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house... Where's the Father's house? Heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for, put your little name right in, I go to prepare a place for Mikey. Thank you, Lord. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Yes. How awesome is that? This is glorious. Look around the birth pangs. Jesus spoke about the birth pangs. What's going on around us? Look up. Your redemption draws near. My job is to be looking for Jesus and to be about his business. Do you know God has a calling on your life? And he can use you right where you are at right now, in your home, with your spouse, with your kids, in the workplace. Listen, can you take what you do and make it count eternally? Can you take what you do and make it count eternally? Wherever God has you, say, Lord, here's my life. I want you to use my life to touch others, to see your kingdom furthered. I'm down, Lord, whatever you want to do. Listen, can I ask you a question this morning? How much of what you're doing will matter when you get to heaven? How much of your life will matter in eternity? I think for me, this is a huge wake-up call of what Paul says here. How can I make a difference eternally, Lord? Paul was so sad. Did you guys catch that? He was so sad for those that were living for that which is temporary, living for the flesh. Because why? That's emptiness. Right? Isn't it? Do you guys remember before you got saved? Did anybody live like that? It's like chasing bubbles. You guys, you kids ever chase bubbles? And they look so beautiful, don't they? Light shining through them. All oh, the colors, so beautiful. And they go running, right? Oh, I'm going to catch the bubble. And what happens when they do it? Gone. Same way in our lives. What's the, what's the next shiny bubble for you? New car, new job, new this, new that. Whatever. If you're living for that, you're going to be empty. There will be no peace. There will be no joy. I'm not sharing this like, mad. this is like, Paul, I'm brokenhearted for you. The Lord wants for your life to count eternally. 
You have a calling in your life. And Jesus is going to come. And when he comes, and it's rapture time, whether we go home to be with him, we take our last breath here to go be with him, or he comes and takes us out of here and rescues us, when, that clock, when the clock expires, that's it. There's no, there's no overtime I get to serve the Lord and store up my treasures in heaven. That's it. It's done. Which would be glorious for sure. It's going to be awesome. And one of the, one of the, the things that's going to happen when we are raptured is, did you read the next verse as we finish this morning? New bod. He's going to transform He's going to radically change our lowly body, feeble, ordinary, average, inferior. If you have a King Jimmy, it's vile bodies. You guys see that? Some, so there's like some young kids in the church saying, what, what are you talking about, vile body? Look at this body. <laughs> Six-pack abs, made in the USA traps. Just give it like another 25 years. You'll be ready. <laughs> You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Right? Every morning, it's like snap, crackle, pop. <laughs> out of bed. It's like, man, what happened? I used to jump out of spring out of bed, ready for action. The Old Testament calls our bodies carcasses. Is that, is that what it feels like? I got to haul my carcass in. <laughs> and we come in here, right? You hauled your carcass in this morning. And then you looked at someone else's carcass and wish you had that carcass. <laughs> and then we do all kinds of things to fix up our carcasses, don't we? we I'm going to lift the carcass, tuck the car- carcass. <laughs> Listen, you got a new, a new bod awaiting you and I. Oh, wait, pastor was anti-workout this morning. He was, you know, he was really just pushing that. No, 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 bodily exercise profits a little. Right? Isn't that what the book says? It does profit a little. You can minister as long as possible. I want to minister as long as possible. I got a special needs kid I got to take care of, so I try to stay in shape. It profits a little bit. But you guys know if you live for that, what happens if you live for that? You you wake up the next day, if you miss one workout, what happens? Aren't you tripping? Oh, I got to double. I missed Saturday workout, and I got to work out Sunday. I can't go to church. That's what happens. By the way, that's what happens. Do you guys know that? Oh, you're getting way out there now, Pastor. Get back to that. Okay. Our bodies are going to be changed. You see that? New bods. That it may be conformed to his glorious body, just like Jesus. Isn't that cool? You look at Jesus' body after his resurrection, and you get an idea of what it's going to be like. And that's when you can eat all you want, not gain a pound. <laughs> According to what it comes down to, look at the last sentence. According to what it comes down to is his power is working and that he is able. He's capable of bringing everything into subjection to himself. This is so awesome. How many things can Jesus subdue? Do you guys believe that this morning? The thing you're struggling with, do you think Jesus can subdue it? The things that are out of control in your life, do you think Jesus can subdue it? How about the impossible situation? The con- Maybe it's a conflict. Do you know Jesus can subdue it? That's so awesome. That means we should be of good cheer this morning. That what you cannot do, he can do. 
and you give it to him. Lord, I'm giving this to you. You're able to subdue this. This bitterness, this forgiveness, I'm going to give it to you, Lord. They keep creeping up. Would you subdue that in my mind, in my heart? It's overwhelming, Lord. I'm struggling with this, this bitterness about what happened, what this person did to me. Would you, do you believe he can subdue it this morning? You guys believe he can subdue it? Do you know he wants to help you this morning? Like Ephraim and Manasseh, he wants you to be fruitful and for you and I to forget and to keep moving forward. Amen? In Jesus' name, Lord.